Hello and welcome to another episode of the Niche Podcast, a music podcast created by a band attempting to define the music industry in the 21st century. I'm your host, Liam David, and I'm the frontman of Brisbane indie rockers, The Niche. If this is your first time joining the podcast, the whole point is to try and work out what's been going on in the music industry. This podcast hopefully will be a great resource for young musicians and young bands. Um, I went to a music school actually to finish off my schooling in the early or late 2000s and I can tell you then that basically almost everything that I learned has changed a lot compared to 2021. Just from 2013, um, the major goal was to try and get people to live shows and to sell CDs and t-shirts and iTunes. Streaming didn't really exist outside of LimeWire where you would give your computer a debilitating disease just to listen to Beyonce's Halo or something like that. Whereas now, um, it's completely changed. So I'm in a band and we've just released our debut single, Fake Friends, which is available everywhere to stream. And we've just posted a music video up on our Facebook page. So the whole point of this podcast is to meet and network other musicians and industry professionals and truly work out what works and what doesn't in the music industry when it comes to sharing your creativity with the world. Uh, there's a lot of get-rich-quick schemes out there. Just as I you know, started a business page for the band, I'd get flooded with ads and entrepreneurs saying, give me money and I'll put you on Spotify playlists, I'll rocket you to the top, I'll get you on Triple J. And it can be very confusing for a young band. So we always try and find the strength of our special guest and really talk about it and try and bust some myths when it comes to being a band and a young musician trying to get a foothold in the industry. We come to you twice a week on Tuesdays and Thursdays. I try and upload them as early as possible so people can listen to the podcast on the ride to work. And uh, if you're a fan of uh, your man Alex Smith, welcome. Um, Or if you're Alex Smith himself, uh, good to talk to you again. Good to um, have your company again, mate. So thanks for coming on the podcast but give another podcast a listen i think that each podcast has really been um it's really been a great conversation i think there's one dud in the bunch and i've learned something about the music industry from everybody so that's your challenge listen to one other podcast and see if it's for you and if you like what you have to listen it'd been mean the world to me if you could follow this podcast or leave a rating and just uh, keep in touch with what we're doing Now, I actually can announce that we have a gig. Now, it's going to be on this Sunday. I'm uploading this on the Thursday, the 15th. But if you're in the Brisbane area, um, come check us out. Uh, The Niche, we're playing our very first gig at King Lear's Throne on Sunday, the 18th of July with some of our good friends. We've uh, got Lifespan. We're supporting them in one of their Brisbane shows. They're a pop punk band from the Gold Coast. They were our guest on Tuesday's podcast. And we also have PhD on the lineup and our friends from Monsters Up North, who I went to go see live the other day and has also been a guest on the podcast. It's free entry and it's one of the um, first shows after the mask mandate. So if you've got a bit of cabin fever, you want to go and go to an old-fashioned rock and roll gig where you can dance out of your chair, I think this is going to be a fantastic one. I'll put the details in the description. It'd be great to see you. 
If you're a young band and you would like to be on the podcast, if you'd like the opportunity to talk about your music, there's no better way than to meet me in person. Come see a live gig of ours and tap one of the lads on the shoulder after the show and shake a hand, get us talking about music, and uh, we'll get you on the podcast. I know as a band, um, it's so hard to get some press to try and spread the word about your music. So I'd love to give back to the community. So if you'd like to be on the podcast, come to the show. I think there's no better way than to guarantee your place than to actually come and give, uh, give us a listen and meet me in person. Now let's go to our next um, segment of the show where I introduce and have a special guest and uh, talk about the strengths of theirs as they go into the music industry. Your man Alex Smith, known for his genre-hopping music and musical theatre approach, has launched his much-anticipated first full album, Slow Burn. In Slow Burn, emotion drives the genre, creating a textured album that draws from musical theatre and cinematic traditions. By linking country, synth, pop folk and other genres together with a single narrative, Alex has created an album that both appeals to diverse audiences and also rewards people who invest in the complete journey. Declarations of true love and feel-good melodies hide a quiet darkness within the lyrics. He says, This is my way of telling the world about a really painful experience that I had in a way that doesn't ruin anybody's life. Your man Alex Smith's previous EP, Guilty, was very well received, gained him a dedicated fan base and led him to some impressive sellout solo concerts, plus supporting gigs with names such as Andrew Strong from The Commitments, Tara Hilton and Kate Vogel. The three pre-released singles from the album have already received over 13,000 streams on Spotify, alone with thousands more across Bandcamp, YouTube and social media. He says, I don't think I'm going to be able to write anything with this much heart again for a long time. I'd hope I'm not in this kind of situation again, but honestly, I'm okay with it. And I'm so damn proud of this album. Uh, Alex launched the album at the Woolly Mammoth main stage. I saw some pictures that looked like a fantastic concert. And it's available now via Bandcamp, Spotify and iTunes. And uh, there's, he's got tons of gigs coming up. So I had a really great conversation. It's not a genre I'm too familiar with, but I found it really interesting to delve deep into this creative process that Alex went, went into when creating this, this music. And we had a really great conversation. I really appreciated his honesty. So without further ado, let's go on to my conversation with your man, Alex Smith. When I listened to your music, um, I was and read a, a little bit about you know how you got into things and uh, your story so far. One thing that stuck out to me is how varied your music background is, from country type sounding music to almost you know synth pop, and then you've got a bit of musical theatre uh, in there as well. What experiences in your life do you think shaped your musical identity the most? Hmm. Um, I think as you, as you mentioned, yeah, I, I had a, a musical theater background, um, nothing like professional. Uh, you know, I, I wish, I wish that I was a yeah. professional musical theater person, but, um, no, I just like a lot of, uh, amateur theater stuff. And I think, um, you know, my parents are big music fans. 
uh, and yeah, just generally, yeah, just you pick it up. I think that um, I, I've, I've always been of the mindset that everyone kind of likes a lot of music. Like it's, it's mm. everyone usually says like, I like everything except country and then there's something else that they say they don't like, rap. but usually, yeah, yeah country, country and rap, and rap yeah. <laughs> but country and rap are also pretty good. Um, and I, I just think I have a, I think my music's for anyone who has a, a love of music because everyone, everyone likes most music, you know? <laughs> has it been a deliberate choice to kind of purposely mix and match all of these different genres together or has it kind of happened by accident? Um, I think initially it was starting to happen by accident because um, in my first EP, um, I was just doing the kind of the pop rock kind of thing. And then people kept saying like, oh, you know, it sounds a bit theatrical. And they said, oh, I like this about this song. Um, so I tried to be like, all right, well, I'll try and do a little bit more of that in the next one. And then people were like, oh, yeah, we really like that. And I was like, oh, good, because I like that too. Um, but after when that uh, EP came out, that was my second EP, Guilty. Uh, one of the reviews was like, it doesn't seem like it knows what it wants to be. Mm. Um, and I was like, oh, well, I, that was kind of intentional. So for this one, I was like, all right, we're going to crank that up to 11 now. <laughs> and it's going to be very clear that every single song is like a different thing for this one. Yeah, because I, I was thinking uh, for people that uh, haven't listened to your music yet, I suppose they could be slightly confused about all of these different things together. But uh, speaking from someone who's listened to it firsthand, it, it definitely does work. But how would you respond to the devil's advocate who says, like what you said, um, your music doesn't know what it wants to be. Just pick one genre, Alex. Why do you got to be greedy and take them all? <laughs> It, uh, it is a tough one. It's very difficult to market it because um, venues are like, oh, what kind of music do you play? And like, can you send us an example of your stuff? And every time you send like, so this is my most popular song. It's like a country song, but I'm not a country artist. I'm kind of a, and you got to like kind of do that. So I can definitely see the appeal of it. It's easier for someone who hasn't been there from the beginning to like figure out what you are. If you just got one genre, it's easier to sell. Um, but I think that in, in defense of doing a scatter shot of things, like it, it comes to a point where once you become famous for a certain sound or genre, then if you leave that sound, then you start to like upset your fans. Like if ACDC, like they've been releasing the same song for like the past <laughs> yeah. 10 years, but if they came out with like a, a heartfelt ballad that they were really proud of, ACDC AC fans would be really mad and be like, oh, this sucks. And like musically that must be so like stifling and upsetting to not feel like you can write what you want because it's supposed to be an expression of what you want to talk about. And if you get to a point where you're like, well, I want to write this, but my fans will get mad at me. Like that's a bad yeah. situation to be in. So yeah. Do you, think we, do you think we try and pigeonhole artists too much? Cause I, I know one of the artists I love is PJ Harvey. And every single one of her albums is incredibly different. Like I'm trying to get my girlfriend into her at the moment. And I play her one song and I play another and she's like, oh, this artist is better than the last one you played. And I said, it's the same woman. <laughs> the same artist. <laughs> yeah. Do you think we try and pigeonhole artists too much into one specific type of sound? Yeah, I definitely, I definitely think, like I don't want to get all tinfoil hat uh, about it, but like I, I know that, record labels and stuff they they like to make it this is a product these are the the boundaries of the products they make this kind of music 
this is what you can expect. And like, these are the demographics that like that and they can like just push it out and it makes it very easy to sell. Um, but like a lot of the artists that we love the most are usually artists that just write what they want to, like the, the artists you just mentioned. Um, I just finished watching the, the Bo Burnham special, yeah. um, which creatively made me feel about two inches tall because he's amazing. <laughs> um, but yeah, like nothing, I don't know, like being freedom and creative freedom is like the key to the future and like experimentation and stuff. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned uh, that phrase there, creative freedom. And uh, I wanted to ask you about this uh, in terms of this freedom that you have in, in your music, because um, you experiment a lot with really catchy songs with really catchy melodies that almost hide a, a darkness in the lyrics. And it's, yeah. it's this juxtaposition <laughs> between uh, darkness in, in the theme of the lyrics compared to perhaps a really uh, a catchy melody. Um, do you ever worry about your lyrics being too honest? Do you ever, have you ever censored yourself when you write your music? Um, the only time I've ever censored myself uh, has been if it's like, if, if there's someone in my immediate circle and I'm writing about a situation involving them and I know they're going to hear it. Um, and even then I'll only censor it. Uh, I, I can't remember who said it. It might've been Amanda Palmer or maybe Amanda Palmer was quoting another artist who said yeah. it. Um, but it was like, uh, when you, when you write, you put your experiences in the blender and sometimes you blend it like chunky. And so you can still kind of recognize where you're drawing the inspiration from. Um, or you can blend it really, really fine and you can't even recognize, you know, what the inspiration for that was. And so I just kind of turn up the setting on the blender. So if it's like, you know, this person at work said this thing to me and it hurt my feelings, mm. I'll just make it like I was in a place and this event happened, which made, you know. Yeah. So uh, I still write it. It's just a letter, a matter of how abstract you take the lyrics to avoid upsetting yeah, anybody. I like that blender metaphor i think that's a really interesting thing to be able to like you said you, you blend it beyond recognition but those ingredients are still there of the yeah. raw emotion that you felt at the time i think that's a really good metaphor i think it's a, a good way of putting it because because um, <laughs> <laughs> when i'm writing my music like um the band that i'm in is is quite you know happy sounding we're quite energetic but when i write the lyrics sometimes they're really sad and i think oh, I'm not really feeling that sad at the moment, but this is like a really sad song. I understand where it's almost come from. So it's, mm. do you think that uh, songwriting is, is almost like a window into your, not to sound too flaky, but like a window into the soul. You almost mm. really get out your true thoughts and feelings. Mm, definitely. Definitely. I am um, when like I have big social anxiety and I feel like when I'm by myself, I, you know, I'm, I'm an intelligent young man and I can have thoughts, but as soon as I like meet people at a party or I'm in a social situation, it feels like someone's holding a magnet against the TV of my brain and I just no thoughts anymore. And I feel very <laughs> inarticulate. And if there's like a, like any sort of debate or like discussion, I just get very stressed. Whereas with songwriting, you can just take all the time in the world to be like, this is exactly how I feel. These are the words I've chosen very carefully. And of course the beauty of song like songs is that when you sing them, especially for the first time, people don't know how long you took to write it. 
they just think you like step out the door and you spit all these awesome bars and everyone's like oh my god he's so articulate and cool and it's like no 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 give me six months to figure out what i want to say maybe do you ever have those songs that fall from the sky that they almost come out fully formed yeah and it's always the ones that um do the best and it's so annoying because the ones that you spend like i really want to make the song work and you're really proud of it and everyone's like yeah it's okay and then it's like, oh, I can't. And then you, you know, spend an hour writing one song and everyone's like, that's my favorite song you've ever written. And you're like, oh, uh, radical. The yeah. more me I add to a song, the worse it gets. <laughs> I remember yeah. for uh, my first EP, I, was, I had a song, Guilty, that was going to be on the second EP. And the, the producer and I had a bit of a, a disagreement. He wanted there to be a, a chorus that repeated. Mm. Uh, and I was like, there is a chorus that repeats. And he's like, no, no, the lyrics should repeat. And I was like, I don't want to record that song then if that's what we're going to do he's like well you got to come up with a, another song then because you paid for five um so i went downstairs and wrote another song and that was the song that everyone liked the most from that ep and i wrote it in like a day and i was like oh <laughs> i'm happy but i'm very frustrated <laughs> yeah you would feel like uh <laughs> yeah happy but frustrated you know all this work you put into it and then you kind of fudge one in five seconds and and uh, I think that happened to Oasis as well. They went in um, and they were trying to put down a song. It just wasn't working. I think they spent days on it until Noel Gallagher went, you know, screw this. I'm just going to go write another one. This is not working. <laughs> so he went and he wrote Supersonic, which turned out to be their first single ever. And it, that yeah. was what introduced them to the world. So I think that it even happens at like the biggest top level where artists yeah. get frustrated and they just kind of fudge one off the top of their heads. And that's the one. Maybe it's, Maybe it's uh, because it happens so quickly. Perhaps it's it's more raw than other songs that we might try and tailor and sculpt for <laughs> months and months. Whereas the well, ones that we come up with in a second, you know, they may yeah. be more accurate depictions of the artist as they truly are. I also think that I think we have this thing where we tell ourselves it it has to be difficult somehow to write music. Yeah. And if you just spit out a good lyric, you're like, well, that was too easy. You know, like because it was so quick, we don't think it's good for some reason. Yeah. yeah. Have you ever had a melody or a lyric that you, that like fell from the sky, but it was so good that you, <laughs> you refuse to believe it's yours. <laughs> you think mm. this, this has to be plagiarized. Like I yeah, came up with yeah. a lyric the other day that I sold my soul to the devil for the minimum wage. Just, <laughs> I'm like, you That's know, you're selling the soul just, just to get by. And I was like, that has to be from another song. Have you ever had that experience? Yeah. Yeah. Although sometimes it turns out that I actually did rip off something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Then you find it and you go, oh, okay. Maybe I'm not as brilliant yeah. as I thought I was. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah. So you said um, on this uh, uh, upcoming release that you've, you said uh, about Slow Burn, which is the album, uh, you mm. said... Uh, it's the way of telling the world about a really painful experience that I had in a way that doesn't ruin anyone's life. So I suppose with that quote, what got me thinking was what is the role of music? Hmm. Is it to simply entertain people or can music also challenge us? What do you think? I, yeah, I think it definitely can challenge us. I think that, that, um, there's definitely surely there's got to be some people who have changed their mind about something because of like a really well written song I I think that the when I write music uh, it was always definitely about making people feel less alone if they if they were going through a hard time hearing someone else 
you know, say that they were going through a similar thing and I'd be like, oh, you know, someone else is going through a similar thing. Um, I know that that's kind of why I have dark lyrics and like happy melodies because I know that especially in a, in, for starters in a gig setting, they can rarely hear the lyrics because of the, yeah. the mixing. It's usually very muffled. So, and like in a gig setting, people want to have a good time. Um, so, it, you know, it's okay if the music's like good and fun and also it's fun to play. Um, but usually the people who want to, you know, buy the album or like listen to it on Spotify, they're listening with a bit more intention and then they'll uncover the lyrics and be like, oh, there's actually like, you know, this story to it. Um, and usually I find that the the dancing crowd and the listening to music for the message crowd are different crowds. And so you really can just bisect in the middle there and be like, you guys get the happy bit, you guys get the sad intense bit. And it's worked pretty well so far. We're just going to take a short break from this week's interview to talk about the band who's bringing you this podcast. Hey there, everyone. It's Liam David here, the frontman of the niche, the Brisbane Indie Rockers. We are absolutely thrilled to announce the release of our debut single, Fake Friends, which is available everywhere on July 10th. True to the niche's mission to respark audiences' love of rock music, Fake Friends embodies the supersonic sound of an indie anthem from its very first jangly guitar riff played by yours truly. Fake Friends will hopefully ensure a bold debut for us with blur-like bounce, strokes-esque guitar licks and Oasis-style irreverence. My main man, Elliot Walden, on lead guitar, said that Fake Friends is a love letter to the music we grew up with. I believe listeners will be hooked and come along with us once they hear our unique spin on things. And this infectious positivity is emblematic of all of us. It's our can-do attitude and hustle. At a young age, in his native South Africa, our drummer Sheldon actually put his very first drum kit together using pots and pans, and for sticks, he used a novelty pencil and a stick that he found in a bush. Found in a bush, I'm not even joking. So this is going to be the first of three singles for The Niche with another one coming out in November and another one coming out in February 2022 to go along with our debut EP uh, towards maybe this time next year, July next year in 2022. So keep in track with us. I'm going to play a little snippet of Fake Friends now just to give you a taste, whet the appetite of what's in store for you on July 10th. The word niche is actually British slang for nothing, nothing at all. And I know sometimes when life gets you down, all of us can feel like nothing at all. But if you want to feel like something with us, come along on our journey, join the niche by streaming Fake Friends and following us on social media. Our handle is the same everywhere. It's The Niche Music, at The Niche Music, N-I-S-H. Chuck us a like, chuck us a follow, and it would mean the world to us if you could join the party. All right, let's go back to the podcast. Do you think there's ever yeah. any... That's an interesting theory that, you know, there's these two different groups. Do you, do you think there's any crossover between those? Or do you oh, think yeah, there's two very separate groups. Yeah, well, I know, I know a lot of people personally who dance to, like, forget the sad times. <laughs> so yeah. I, I think especially in... 2021 we all got some some big sad times going on mm. 
Yeah, yeah. me and my partner always disagree about music because uh, she's into lyrics. She loves the hmm. lyrics. Like if um if she listens to a song and it could be the catchiest song in the world, but if it's got crap lyrics, she doesn't like it. Whereas yeah. some of my favorite songs, I still don't know what they're saying. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I think I'm more. I think I'm more melody, chorus. I don't know. What about you? Are you more musical lyrics? Uh, it kind of it kind of varies song to song. I, I've had a similar thing where like. I'll listen to a song that I've listened to a million times over the years. And then one day it'll just click to me. Like I'll just mm. listen to it properly for the first time and be like, Oh wow, this song's about that. That's really cool. Um, yeah. But there are some, some lyrics can just be so bad that it takes me out of the song entirely. And I'm like, Oh man, I've, I've lost all respect for the artist. <laughs> I can't enjoy this in good faith, knowing that they let that lyric be in there. Or like if the if the lyrics imply that the artist is a jerk, like sometimes you can hear through the lyrics that the artist is a jerk, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to, I don't want to support this guy. He uh, seems like yeah. a jerk. Yeah. Well, it's interesting you bring that up. This this kind of connection between uh, the art and the artist, um, mm. and whether there's a divide in that at all. Uh, you said recently that uh, you don't think you'd be able to write anything with as much heart for a long time. And there you're referring to your album. Uh, mm. Does your songwriting process take a toll on you emotionally? Yeah, <laughs> I think because um, I, I would love to be someone who writes songs out of joy when I'm like, I feel so happy. I just have to write about it. Yeah. But uh, I've always used songwriting as like a way to pull out painful thorns. Mm. Um, and normally if, you know, it'll be, you know, I feel bad about this situation and then I can write it and then it's gone and I feel better. Uh, but with this album specifically, because it was such a, a big topic and it took so long, I had to, I, I really feel like I hindered my, uh, you know, my, my progress getting better from it and my recovery process because I think what would have been, you know, four years of like, you know, working on myself and, and like I was going to therapy and stuff, but like mm. four years that would have been, you know, distancing myself from all these memories and stuff uh, was just like going back to the like locations and, and remembering stuff and just really twisting the knife to try and uh, get it out. And also not to mention uh, I, I, <laughs> Sometimes I wear I'm too honest in interviews, but uh, I, I put myself in a big financial uh, mm. burden. I like, I'm okay for money, but I've just been taking on a lot of like, like six day weeks for like the past four years <laughs> just yeah. to like pay for the album and some other stuff that I've got coming up. Um, so I don't think, I think it's probably been difficult to be my friend the past four years. Mm. Cause I think uh, a lot of friends have just been like, it's difficult to see you in such a, hard spot that you've put yourself into. Um, but I just, I just really got to believe that, you know, it's all going to pay off. Right. <laughs> yeah. I, I pretty, I really appreciate the, the honesty, uh, Alex, and I can sympathize as well, that, you know, there's some songs that you write where uh, it's about a certain person or a certain location or a certain thing that's happened or, Maybe even if it's not about it specifically, but it was just happened to be written at the same time that, mm. you know, you just can't play anymore just because you just, yeah. uh, it brings up too much or uh, like for even for me, 
I struggle a lot with playing songs that I wrote maybe a while ago, just because my brain's moved on. I don't have that emotional attachment to the song anymore. I'm in a Mm. different kind of space. Like for example, if you play, I played um, my current band, some songs that I played from some prior projects thinking like, could we rework them into our current genre? And it's just, it just didn't work. Mm. It's Yeah. yeah. That situation is definitely tough because I think like people can, people can hear when it's not like honest and real. And I think that they can hear when you're just singing karaoke of like one of your old songs, Yeah, you know? And it's like, you're not, you're not connecting to it anymore. You're just singing the words. Yeah. That's like uh, to bring up PJ Harvey again, when, when she, because she's so different uh, on her tours, she does not play any song except the album that she's just released. Hmm. So you don't see, she doesn't do any of the classics. She doesn't do, uh, any song from any other prior album, she just goes and tours that album individually. Damn. Do you think that that's, that's a bit, it's a ballsy move. I'll give her that. But um, do you think there's some merit in making that the kind of decision? I mean, I, I can see both sides of it. I know that as a fan, if I, especially it does, uh, does this artist live not in Australia? Yeah, she's from yeah, Dorset. Yeah. Dorset in England. Oh yeah. my god, that's where I'm from. Oh, nice. oh damn. Yeah. <laughs> I was gonna say if I was an Australian artist and you know she finally came to Australia, I'd be like, I can't wait to hear the songs I love. And then they didn't play any of them. <laughs> I'd be like, oh, that feels bad. But also as the artist, uh, I can also appreciate that it's like you know I have an opportunity to make this. You know, this is the the first time someone listens to your album is like. You only get one first time for them to listen yeah. to it. Maybe a second time when they listen to the studio album, but like the first time they listen to your songs and to be able to be like, I am going to create and control and maintain the circumstances under which you receive this musical experience for the first time. I can understand that. Um, I guess you just got to, it's a gamble as to whether the audience would be in the right, the same mindset. Yeah. I think uh, for me personally, nothing ruins a gig than a shitty set list. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> you just kind of go, okay, cool. New single. Oh, the next one on the new album. All right. Well, okay. On B side. All right. Interesting decision. Yeah. <laughs> You're just kind of waiting for that next, that big song and it never comes. The worst is when they go, all right, there's one more song guys. And you, <laughs> there's about eight that you want them to play and you go, oh, no. yeah. uh, it's interesting. Let's talk about uh, one of your uh, upcoming songs and, and that's, a line and there's a very interesting journey that you took with the music video for that. Can you tell the audience a little bit about your approach to making the video for a line? Ah, well, so originally it was going to be, uh, I'd done the music video for my song rescue me, which was kind of a fun cop thing. I love that. Um, like I said to you, it gave me beastie boys vibes, yeah. you know, the sabotage video and they're walking around yeah. as detectives. Oh, I loved it. Yeah. Uh, and I was going to do another one of like a, like a Western cowboy thing. Yeah. And I was getting all the locations up, but I learned pretty quickly that the East coast of Australia does not have very many good Western looking locations, especially not on my budget, which is $30 a week to like, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Um, and, uh, and I had to start thinking of other, solutions. I was like, well, I could go to Sydney and do like the pioneer village maybe, uh, but I'd have to hire the village and actors and a crew and fly them or get them down there. And I was like, I don't think this is going to work. And then I was having one of those evenings 
where uh, have you ever had one of those evenings where you're like, I wonder how much it would cost to like start a bar and like you look into it yeah. and then before you know it, you've sent a few quotes and then you're, it's kind of happening. Yeah. Um, I, I got, cause I've always loved animation. I've always loved animation. I, I wanted to be an animator before I wanted to be a musician. Um, and I started messaging some animators being like, Hey, how much would it cost for a music video for this song? Uh, and they were like, it'll cost more money than has ever existed in the entire world. And I was like, oh yeah, fair, fair. Uh, and then eventually I contacted, uh, I, I was using the reward by Skjald, uh, who did the Tales of Aletheon series on YouTube. They're very cool, very awesome. Uh, definitely check them out. Um, and I was like, how much would you do it for? And they were like, uh, we had a bit of back and forth. But eventually I was like, oh, I'm really sorry for wasting your time. And they're like, well, we actually really like this song. Um, how about we do, and we, we did sign a contract, so I'm, I'm not supposed to talk about it, but essentially they were like, we really like this song. I'd be willing to uh, do something a little bit different with you mm. because of this song that we like. And I was like, hell yeah. And so since like August of 2020, uh, we've been working on that. Uh, and that's been really, really cool. And we also had a, a fundraiser this month a couple of weeks ago time is going crazy um but yeah we reached 154 percent of the goal amazing uh and we're just figuring out the perks and everything now and very exciting it's gonna be so cool yeah that that would be absolutely amazing i, I do love a good uh animated video um mm. so like you just mentioned that you did a, a crowd a funding for it and it's gone well and above your goal. What do you mm. think led audiences to get behind the project to go well and above? Like what do you think made people connect to the idea? Uh, honestly, <laughs> I, I, I'll never really understand why people support me. I always feel lucky every <laughs> single day. I'm just like, this is what I want to do more than anything in the world, please. And people are like, yes, we, we like your music. And I'm like, they still like my music. Cool. And every day I feel like someone's going to open the door and be like, please, we're taking everything from you. And I'm like, yeah, fair to be honest. Um, so every, any success I get musically is always a pleasant surprise to me. Um, but I know you're not supposed to say that you're supposed to be like, they backed it because I'm the greatest musician there ever was. And it's a great project, but um, not for a second. Do I ever feel like uh, I'm owed any of the massive support I get? I have um, a, a bunch of patrons on my Patreon and I'm grateful for them every day. Um, and people, people just seem to really like that song <laughs> in particular. Um, also the Tales of Aletheon team have a very big following. Um, and I think they were keen to see another animation from them. There were, a couple people that like neither of us knew. So I think they were just looking for something on Indiegogo and were like, Hey, that looks cool. But, um, yeah. Well, that's really exciting. So, um, I'm keen to see where, how it all comes out. What's the plan in, in 2021 for your music? What's coming up for you? Well, uh, where are we? Oh, so in June 18th, we've got the album launch of the Bully Mammoth. It's going to be awesome. And then it's also going to be streaming on all the streaming platforms that you can get. Uh, the following week, we got another launch in Ipswich. Uh, and then my guitarist is in the band Valhalla, 
and they're doing a big tour all through July. So YMS is taking a little bit of a quiet period during July, but I also want to release a bunch of uh, YouTube videos and stuff and covers of musical theater songs because, uh, oh, I'm, I'm graduating like in a week and I've spent the past four years doing full-time uni, which is why I've had to take a bit of a, thank you, a bit of a step back with music stuff because uh, full-time uni is a big commitment. Yes. Um, but I, I want to get back into releasing good frequent content and then, yeah, we've got some, I don't want to announce anything because it's not set in stone yet, but I have some cool potential things for the future. Oh, of go the, on, Alex, go on, <laughs> reveal a secret. Give me a No, give it me. might not happen. <laughs> and then I'll look silly. Uh, but I also, I want to put it together for a, like a, a show, like a bit of a two-hander kind of musical theater-y kind of show. And got other plans for another two albums in the works currently. Wow. So... Oh, there's plenty to go. So um, we're going to play one of your songs in this podcast and, and introduce our audience to you. If they fall in love with the music, just as I did with some of uh, some of your songs, where can they go to support you? What's your call to action? Where, where would you, what would you like them to engage with you? Well, uh, so my, my username is your man, Alex Smith, and you can find me on Spotify, Bandcamp and iTunes. I've got a lot of music videos and stuff on YouTube. And, uh, if you, if you're feeling financially stable, uh, feel free to jump on Patreon and search your man, Alex Smith on there as well. All right. So stream your man, Alex Smith, our man, Alex Smith on, <laughs> on our, all of the streaming websites. Check him out. Check out that video. Keep an eye out for that one. That should be very uh, exciting. And uh, uh, check out for the new album coming up out as well. And uh, give him a like, give him a follow and uh, check out what he's doing because there's a lot of good stuff on the way. Thank you so much for joining me today, Alex. Thanks for having me. The man of ice was not always this way Oh, he had a burning heart But he traded it away To someone who showed him nothing but disdain And his heart was not the same Couldn't handle the pain Now ice runs through his veins and his love burned bright like the stars at night But the stars don't always align No, the stars don't always align The woman of fire lives howling in the night She was born into a world that didn't treat her right After years engulfed in the flames Her heart was not the same Couldn't handle the pain So fire she became And she burned so bright like the stars